So our reading today is Matthew chapter 22, and we'll be reading from verse 15 to verse 22. But let's pray together before we read. Lord Jesus, I do pray that you would be with us in our hearts and minds as we read your word tonight. Father, please help us to understand it rightly and teach us according to it. And I pray this in your name. Amen. That's Matthew chapter 22 from verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. This is God's word. Now, not many people get wildly excited by tax. If you are the sort of person who thinks doing your tax return is a great night, enjoy your night on your own, I would imagine. Not many get excited by tax, but this is a fairly significant question. You'd have to say a fundamental question, really. What is the relationship then between a Christian following God and their responsibilities to the government? It's quite a pressing question. Uh, Just in the news, you think internationally, that's fairly pressing. As people look on wickedness in uh, northern Iraq and Syria and say there is a horrible evil, Holocaust-like evil taking place because people say they follow God, Allah. And Allah says, kill. So they do. So just internationally, it's a slightly pressing issue. What is your relationship, where do you balance things between following God if you're a Christian and the state? Or just domestically, in domestic law, as um, freedom for sexual expression in the workplace will trump uh, freedom to religious conscience. As that gets entrenched legally, what do you do as a Christian if those two clash for you? internationally, domestically, and and therefore personally for the individual Christian, how do you conceive your loyalties, the duties you have to the government, to the state, to the nation, and to the Lord? How do you weigh those? So it's an enormously practical question that gets thrown up by a question about tax uh, that uh, gets asked to Jesus. 
Now we're returning then for the next eight weeks, uh, starting tonight to going forwards, so the next eight weeks to Matthew's Gospel, chapters uh, from well, from here in chapter 22 to the end of chapter 25, uh, and I guess the heading are waiting for the King's return. That is particularly obvious and dominates chapters 24 and 25, as Jesus tells stories, stories tells people, get ready, and here is how you get ready for my return. Here in chapters 22 and 23, it's a little more in the background, but it's there. The presenting issue here is uh, Jesus is having a, a run-in with uh, the political religious authorities of the day. Uh, In context, he's just finished a set of parables against the religious establishment. Uh, Three parables essentially saying, your time is over, you are wicked, I'm going to, the kingdom of God is for people and it's not you. Three times, essentially that message has come through in different parables. And so this is the last week of Jesus' life and the tension is high between him and the establishment. And that's where we join it, uh, here in chapter 22. It's the first of three questions that are going to get asked to him. We'll look over the next three weeks. This one essentially, how does a Christian relate to the government of the day? Next week, how should we conceive of eternal life and eternity? What do we think about? How do we think about that in our own minds? Uh, and then the following week, what's the most important thing to the Lord? Very helpful questions for us to hear today. And we're going to break it down, uh, these four headings, these four ways. There's a, there's a trap for Jesus. There's a debt to Caesar. There's a debt to God. And then finally, the image of God. Okay? Those four. First then, there's a trap for Jesus. Chapter 22 and verse 15. The Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. They wanted to trap him. It's an unusual word in the Greek. It's a hunting word, as in trap for an animal. I, uh, we had great fun as a family visiting friends this summer on the island of Borneo, which is a sweaty, humid place, but a lot of fun uh, to visit if you go there. Uh, a lot of it's rainforest, and uh, they have these wild boars that cause all sorts of damage, the bearded pigs. They're vaguely entertaining to look at until you see the damage they cause. They're also quite tasty. And so uh, uh, the inhabitants of the island lay big metal traps, you know, to try and catch these pigs and uh, shave them and eat them. I don't know if they shave them. Um, they want to trap Jesus. It's not polite. It's deliberate. They're annoyed. They don't like him. There's all sorts of flannel going to be offered to him. So verse 16, they're very polite. Teacher, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. But verse 18, Jesus knows what's going on. Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? That's what's taking place. They want to trap him. Now, if you're a Bible reader, the one little mistake you can make when you come to something such as this is, oh, they want to trap him. Booze, wicked, black cloak wearing, black hat wearing, nasty people are trying to trip him. In the culture of the time, these are good guys. They're decent people. The Pharisees, sort of middle classes, Next week, the Sadducees, sort of posh, land-owning, elite classes, held most of the important religious positions. The Herodians, some people you know, trying to do their best, getting along with the Romans of the time. These are decent people you know. 
They'd cut the ribbons at galas and school fates. You'd sit next to them at charity dinners. They'd be generous with their money. They're good people, decent people. But they're the establishment of their day. And Jesus comes along and says, I am God, you must follow me. And that's a challenge to them in their position. And they don't like it. So you get this bizarre um, team coming together. Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, they don't like one another, but they hate Jesus more. Because he challenges them. I don't know, it doesn't quite work. But if you've got a slightly odd uh, uh, combination of Alex Salmon and, and David Cameron and, and Nigel Farage and the Archbishop of Canterbury and Jeremy Paxman and Polly Toynbee, they're all coming together against some nasty person. Um, well, actually, that is what happens. I don't overstate things, but this is one example. Uh, last month, uh, Matt Ridley, who I think is an intelligent writer in the Times, he's a columnist, he's a Tory peer, member of the British Human, yes, Humanist Association, excuse me. Uh, he wrote a piece last month in the Times. Liberal Anglicans should make common cause with us humanists against the virulent virus of evangelical Christianity. It's not a great headline, but that's interesting. He says, I'm a humanist, I don't believe there's a God. I and people like me should make alliance with the liberal Anglicans, the woolly ones who don't really believe very much. And we should gang up against evangelicals because they're nasty, virulent virus. You know, which at the same time Ebola is taking place and causing devastation. You can see the association he's trying to make. Uh, to be obvious, that is not flattering to you and to me, is what he's saying. But let's, I have nothing in common with these Anglicans, he says, but let's gang up against these people, because they're unpleasant. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not bleating about that, I'm not particularly complaining about that, because the gospel will say, don't be surprised at that. Jesus says, I am Lord, follow me. And that will always be a challenge to anyone, but particularly those who are, I don't know how you best you call it, the establishment, religious, political, cultural. It'll always be a, he'll always be a threat to them. And it'll always be unpopular. Don't be surprised at the trap laid for Jesus and similar language used today. Don't be surprised. We get all this flannel then, but the real, the, the crunch of it comes in verse 17. Here's the question they actually put to him. Tell us then, O oh nice man who is not swayed by public opinion, tell us then, verse 17, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, taxation often upsets people. People don't like it. Um, not always really like it, but uh, sometimes it causes all sorts of violent protests. Uh, some will remember the poll tax riots of 1990. Others of you wouldn't have been born, I know. But in 1990, uh, violent protests on the streets of London and up and down the country, conflict with the police. It was a little unnerving, if you're alive. It was a little unnerving at the time. You think this country's getting a bit out of control. Uh, a bit like, you know, the riots of um, uh, a couple of years ago, 2011. Now, that sort of thing had been taking place uh, in the year uh, uh, 12 years, what, about 12 AD, excuse me, 12 AD, that's right, a few years earlier, the Romans had introduced a poll tax into occupied 
Palestine. It was not popular with the Israelites. They didn't like it. So here's the question they say, should people pay taxes? If Jesus says yes, he loses popular support. He goes down in the opinion polls, people drift away from him because the people don't want to hear pay tax. If he says no, don't pay tax, well that's mutiny, that's imprisonable. So they think they're being very clever. A trap is laid for Jesus. His response is brilliant. So secondly, uh, there's a trap for Jesus. Second little thing, there's a debt to Caesar. Look at Jesus' response then. Verse 19. Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius and he asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Literally, whose portrait, whose image is here? Who, whose is this coin? Who owns this image? Who does it belong to? Caesar. That's the obvious point. He's using possession here. Who, who owns this? Who does this belong to? Caesar. Right. You use Caesar's coin because Caesar gives you things in response. He underwrites this currency. He guarantees the value of this currency. And in Roman occupation, the Israelites got water and sewage and roads and security. There were benefits to living under Roman rule. They didn't obviously choose it, but there are benefits to the taxation. Paying tax is not all bad. See, they ask the question, is it right to pay? He replies, verse 21, Give. Literally pay back to Caesar what is Caesar's. Should we pay Caesar? Yes, you should pay him back for what he's done for you, is what Jesus replies. No one enjoys tax. But sometimes you get reminded there are some uses to it. If cycling home tonight you had an accident and you phoned 999 and you got a recorded message, this service is no longer operational. You cancelled your subscription last year when you stopped paying tax. That would be disappointing. You have an accident in your kitchen at home, you ring 999, can I have an ambulance please? I'm afraid this is no longer a public service. We can provide an, uh, an ambulance to you, but it'll be £5,000 up front. And at that point you think, yeah, the NHS has its flaws, it's not all bad. And paying taxes has some benefit to it. Pay your taxes, says Jesus. Give to Caesar, pay him back what he, you owe him, because he has provided for you. Pay your taxes. The, Jesus says to Gary Barlow, pay your taxes, give them back, give them back, give them back for good. <laughs> I'm just relieved enough people get that, to be honest. I don't mind groans. Pay your taxes, says Jesus. Do you see here, what he is not doing is saying, reject the government and follow me. Elsewhere, Jesus would say in John 19, my kingdom is not of this world. I don't want political authority here on earth. I'm not saying set up a state of Christendom. I'm not saying that, says Jesus. Honour your obligations to the government. Be a citizen of the state in which you live in. 
and be a good one. And elsewhere, of course, the New Testament would say, Romans 13, Titus 3, follow the government, obey the government, even when it's bad, because bad government is better than no government, and God has put it, put it there for you. So pay, pay your debt to Caesar. The coin is Caesar's, give him what you owe, says Jesus. There's a debt to Caesar. But it doesn't end there. So alongside that, there's a debt to God. A trap for Jesus, a debt to Caesar, third, a debt to God. Still in verse 21, of course. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Pay back Caesar what is Caesar's and pay back God what is God's. Of course, coins have, or excuse me, coins had Caesar's portrait on them. But everyone agrees, as all the commentators agree, what Jesus is saying here, whose image is upon the coin? Caesar's. Whose image is upon a human being? God's. Genesis 2.27, and God made man in his image. Male and female, he created them. You and I bear the image of God. Yeah, pay your taxes to Caesar for what he's given you. But human beings have the image of God upon them and give to God what is owed to him. You know, so you could, um, uh, coins, of course, do it. But in our sort of current parlance or the modern times, notes do it a bit better, of course. You have a nice little picture of the queen. Um, and, uh, of course, looking a bit younger than she perhaps is now. Maybe they need a little update. But uh, upon the queen, of course, uh, the queen's bank, the Bank of England, a state asset, says, I promise to obey the bearer on demand the sum of ten pounds. There's a contract when you hold this coin. It has the queen's head on it, and the contract is, you live under my reign, I underwrite the value of this coin. It's owned by me. The benefits you get from this money are mine, and sometimes you need to, there are payback, there are taxes to be paid. Now, you and I, we could take something like this, this is my compact. Um, uh, you can look in the mirror and say, upon me, in a sense, is the image of God. I look upon this and think, I am owned by him. He underwrites my value as my creator. And I must pay back to him what I owe him. Which is, well, it's everything. Now, there's a limit. Jesus is putting a limit then on what we should do for the state. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to the Lord what is the Lord's. But there are limits, therefore, to what you give to Caesar. Don't give him too little. Pay him what you owe him, but don't give him too much. If Caesar, if the state demands what only God should have, a fundamental loyalty, God comes first. The Lord must come first. You see that in places such as uh, Acts chapter 5, the apostles are on trial for preaching about Jesus and they're told, you've got to stop your preaching or we'll imprison you. And they reply, we must obey God rather than men. Oh, they accept the punishment, they're flogged for it, but that's a clear priority for them. When the two clash, my loyalty to the Lord and my loyalty to the state, Jesus says, your loyalty to the Lord is first. 
Now, let me give three comments of application before we're done. Here. It's a little ABC. Uh, ABC. Anxiety, benefits, challenge. ABC. First, let me make a comment on, I guess, of, on anxiety. Uh, some, I take it as someone like a Matt Ridley writing in the Times, calling evangelicalism a virus. Some would hear this sort of comment of Jesus or, or the disciples in Acts chapter 5 and say, that's scary. But Christians say their loyalty is primarily to the Lord and secondarily to the state. I don't like that. It makes me nervous when that happens. Now, what do you say in response, what do we say in response to anxiety such as that? Follow the guffs. One, look, calm down. Calm down. Jesus says, follow the government. Honour the government. Honour the king elsewhere. Respect your rulers. Pay your taxes. Be good citizens. Be the very best citizens you can be in your society. Love your country. Love your neighbour in your country. Give yourself. Very much that sense to the New Testament. And Christians will work hard for the good of nations. Let me give you one example, though, of someone else who thought very much along those lines, who was an atheist. The Christian priority to follow the Lord rather than government made him very, very nervous. So Andrew Wilson, A.N. Wilson, historian, uh, columnist, um, Throughout the 80s, 90s, wrote a number of books on that issue. How the apostle Paul created Christianity. Jesus was probably a nice man, but Paul distorted things and made this wicked religion. And how terrifying it is that Christians think God comes first before the state. Wrote numerous books upon that subject. Then a few years ago, he became a Christian. It's very interesting uh, uh, reading his testimony of, of why that took place. And there's a whole number of things that... F- Um, sort of fed into that. Uh, But one of them, let me read it to you, one of them that made a massive difference. Let me read uh, briefly. One thing that finally put the tin hat on my aspirations to be an atheist was writing a book about the Wagner family in Nazi Germany and realising how the most potent opposition was from Christians. Paid for not with just clear intellectual victory, but paid for with their blood. And goes on on that theme. It's just one man, of course. But as someone who was avowedly an atheist, he thought, now hold on a minute. I look upon this abhorrent period of human history. And who are those who died in order to oppose it? Who are those who stand out by the strength of their opposition? It's those wretched Christians who I don't like. Hmm. Maybe there's something right about the way they think. Maybe having a God who says this is good, that is evil, and live that way, maybe having a God outside of the nation who declares those things is a good thing. He said, no, that's a much more coherent way of thinking. So just bear that in mind. I guess for those who find themselves a little bit anxious, dare I put it, uh, about a Christian's loyalty to Jesus first, At times, even in human history, that has demonstrably been a wonderful, wonderful thing. To have a group of people who say, we follow him, not just public opinion. We don't just follow the crowd and take the root of least resistance. We follow him and therefore avowedly would do what is right. It's just a word, if you're anxious on such things. 
A, anxiety. B, benefits. There are many benefits to living under God's rule. It is easy to forget the benefits of government and take them for granted. I, uh, one of my friends, um, he is uh, pretty passionately uh, uh, right-wing in his economics, comes out with the sort of comments uh, along the lines of, uh, taxation is the confiscation of our property by, by those who think they have better ideas how to spend it than I do. He's a fairly sort of passionate and Adam Smith um, um, Institute member, that sort of thing. Uh, now, occasionally, he just sort of froths at the mouth and... Um, I uh, gets really, really overexcited on such things. And I do have to say, Jim, would you calm down? It's not all bad, is it? Your two kids, they were born in an NHS hospital, weren't they? One very complicated, took thousands of pounds worth of care. It, was, it wasn't that, okay. Just remind me, they are educated at state schools, aren't they? Yes, yes. Just to be clear, you are employed by the BBC, aren't you? <laughs> Yes, and you are pretty fervent about nuclear deterrent and how we must upgrade it. Oh, yes. I suggest all those things cost money, and therefore to have some taxation is a useful thing. I'd spend it differently, I'd spend it better, etc., etc., and off he goes. But sometimes, when we're being a bit odd, dare I say, it's good just to be reminded of the benefits. And for Christians... Sometimes it's easy to forget the benefits of being a Christian and take them for granted. The benefits of having a creator who makes a good world for us to live in. The benefits of knowing God as a father and therefore we proceed through life under his fatherly care through good, through bad, He gives us purpose to go through life knowing you are loved. You don't have to chase it. To knowing that you are, I could put it in these terms, a success if you know Jesus Christ. You've been found, discovered. You don't have to chase it. To know supremely that you're forgiven and that you will spend eternity with him in glory. Well, these are things, if you're Christians, we all know that. But how easy they just trip off the tongue and we say, I know, I know. But whip all those things away, life looks very different. There are enormous benefits to following him. The government gives us quite a lot with our money, with the 500 billion almost in revenue that the uh, HMRC gathers every year. It gives us quite a lot back. But the government won't die for you. The government won't love you in the way the Lord does. The government will take you to be in glory forever. Don't forget his benefits. Anxiety, benefits. Last thing. There's a challenge here. There's a challenge to our loyalty, a challenge to our totality, if I can put it in those terms. There is a challenge, of course, to our loyalty. Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but not too much, because your loyalty to the Lord comes first. Now, some people here will have two passports and uh, have two nationalities. A number in the room, I can look around and see you have a UK passport and a US one or an Aussie one or a Kiwi one, whatever it may be. A number of people here have two passports, two nationalities. Woohoo! You sort of pretend you're born, look at my passports, which one shall I use? And um, you've got, you know, two different... uh, uh, Not all countries allow you to have dual citizenship. 
you can't have a UK passport and a Singaporean one. You can't have a UK passport and one for Djibouti, if you can find it on a map. You can't have a UK passport and one for Kazakhstan. You have to choose between those two. Choose wisely, if it's the latter. But you have to choose. Singaporean, British, Singaporean, Kazakhstan. You have to choose. You can't have both. Now, every Christian has at least dual citizenship of, I don't know, let's say the UK for ease, and the kingdom of heaven. And very rarely, but there are just the odd occasion where you have to choose. Where does my loyalty lie? And you just need to remember, before anything else, I'm a Christian. Then, a Brit, an Aussie, Yankee, whatever it may be, I'm a Christian. Defines me more than anything else. Has my primary loyalty. Render to God what is God's. I have the image of God upon me. He owns me. I own everything. So there's a loyalty point, but alongside that is totality. We do owe him everything. Is there anything you have which you have not received from the Lord under his providence, his stewardship, his kind hand? There is not. And so he's not asking for 20% VAT. He's not asking for uh, income tax. He says, you owe me everything. I am your Lord. You have my image upon you. And so sometimes you just need to remind ourselves, he can have my social life. I owe him my, well, my finances. What else? My stuff, a car, a flat. I owe him everything. It's all his. It's nothing that I have, which is not the Lord's. I owe him everything. There's a challenge in that as well. Anxiety benefits challenge. Okay, where are we on? There's a trap for Jesus, a debt to Caesar, a debt to God. Very briefly. Right at the end, we see there's the image of God. Verse 22. Verse 22. When, the, uh, when they heard this, that's the Pharisees and the Herodians, when they heard this, they were amazed. And so they left him and went away. They're amazed. Well, of course they was. Of course, there's no surprise that Jesus makes comes up with a brilliant answer. He knows this world better than anyone because he is the image of the invisible God. He is God incarnate. So, of course, God gives a good answer to a question. And they're amazed at that. Well, we shouldn't be. He is the image of God. So you and I, we will try to give God what we owe him, which is our lives, and we'll do so imperfectly. Will fail. But then we turn back to the perfect image, of course. Jesus Christ and say, well, praise God that you didn't. You've paid the debt that I can't pay. You know the, uh, you know the, the old hymn, I owed a debt. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. Second verse, I owed a debt I could not pay, and it was growing every day. But Jesus paid it all for me. He gave his life on Calvary. I 
owed a debt that I couldn't pay. He paid a debt he didn't owe. He's paid our tax. And therefore now, not that we'll pay it off, but he owns us. We are his. Everything we have is his. You know, on the uh, the uh, 19th of May every year, hundreds of people get together to celebrate a birthday. It's of a man called Nick Winton. And uh, happened this year on the 19th of May. Uh, Nick Winton was 105 years old. Good innings, good guild effort. Uh, still going. And uh, hundreds of people gathered at the Czech Embassy in London to celebrate his birthday. Why so? In 1939, Nick Winton was, uh, he was a, a, a banker based in Hampstead. But he went out to Czechoslovakia, to the Sudetenlands, which had just recently been annexed uh, by the Nazis. Looked at the situation there and thought, this is trouble. War is coming. And the Jewish people are in real dilemma here. So between January and September 1939, Nick Winton managed to smuggle out of the Sudetenland uh, uh, in Czechoslovakia 662 Jewish children to the United Kingdom. Got all passports, found them all homes. They're all adopted. And so it's estimated there are about 6,000 of Nicky's children as they call themselves, in the world today. Many in Czechoslovakia, some in the US, some fly over from New Zealand. Hundreds every year for the birthday of a 105-year-old. He can barely open his presents these days. There's a lot of you reports in the paper saying everyone hangs on every word. Of course they do. They owe him everything. Give to God what is God's. If you're a Christian, you know that is everything. Jesus died to buy you. You're owned by him. Give him everything. He's a very wonderful Lord to serve. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the exceptional wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not surprised to read of it. He is the image of the invisible God. He is God incarnate. Thank you for his wisdom in confounding those who want to trap him. Thank you for the implications it has for us to uh, relate rightly, wisely, honestly, faithfully to the government of our day. But we pray that we would be loyal to you. Above all else, we would recognize we owe you everything. And not be those who are reluctant To pay what we owe, we would recognize the wonderful benefits of belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ and would therefore live our lives for him. Amen.